Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we are talking about the concept of preparing a trade business or trade-based business for sale. And by trade business, we refer here to small to medium-sized businesses that provide skilled trade-based services to its clients or customers like plumbing businesses, electrical businesses, mechanics, etc. So if you're an accountant or a broker who might be advising a trade-based business, this episode offers some great tips and useful information to help you get the best outcomes for your clients. And to help us give depth to this topic, we draw insights from Matthew Gretsch, the Director of SME Business Sales, as we talk about his experience helping business owners in this space. So let's jump right in. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Matt, thank you so much for coming along to uh, talk to us today. It's a pleasure having you here. Thank you very much, Joanna. Pleasure's all mine. Now, today we're talking about the concept of preparing a trade business for sale. So let's dig into this a bit. Why are trade businesses different to any other type of business? Why, Why are we talking specifically about trade businesses here? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, trade businesses, I think, are quite different to your traditional shop front business where you might have customers coming in and buying your goods or, or services. Uh, a lot of trade businesses actually operate from home or from a, an industrial unit. Yeah. Um, so they, they can be tucked away a little bit. And a lot of the guys that I deal with as well um, are selling because they are retiring. And they're of that, that generation where there wasn't a lot of planning from the initial setup stage through to thinking, okay, I'm going to sell my business in 30 years' time. These are the sort of things I, I need to get prepared and the things I need to do to make my, uh, my my business more attractive. And also, they have typically, if I'm talking about sort of plumbing businesses and electrical businesses, they're very light uh, balance sheets. There's not a lot of assets in these businesses. Right. Um, so when the buyer is looking at the business like that. They're talking to their accountant and, okay, what are we actually buying? There's not a lot of assets there. So we're buying the goodwill. So I think the approach to selling a business where it is predominantly goodwill and there's not a lot of assets is is quite a different one to, say, a manufacturing business um, or even a cafe, for example. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess it's probably, I mean, many business owners that we see, you know, aren't highly experienced in the process of selling a business. You know, they may not have done it before, or if they have done it before, they maybe only have done it once. So, I, I, and I would say trades-based businesses are an example, certainly, of the type of business where it's unlikely, ma- many people who are involved, business owners who are selling their business have probably not gone through the process before. That's right. No, it's, uh, and it's funny um, when I start talking to some of these business owners who might have um, uh, had the same account for many, many years, and uh, they're talking to their accountant about retiring. Uh, and in some cases, I had a, a interesting one about two years ago, um, he didn't think there was any value in his business. He was just going to close it down or give it to one of his employees. Uh, but we went through the appraisal process and I said, well, you know, 
I, I believe your business is actually worth about 300k. Wow. And he was dumbfounded. He didn't think it was a business that he could sell because he, he didn't have a website. Um, he, he didn't advertise. It was all relationships that he'd um, sort of gained over the last 25 years in business or whatever it might have been. Um, so we sat down and we put a, a plan in place and a very detailed IM. Um, and I worked pretty closely with his accountant on that, who was very helpful in, in that process. And, you know, we, we managed to sell that business reasonably quickly. I think it transacted within about four or five months. Wow, that, that is quick in the area of business sale, isn't it? <laughs> right from beginning to end, you know, that's that that's good work. But, and particularly for someone who didn't think they were going to be able to sell their business. So what a windfall. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, no, that's, that is absolutely chuffed. There's an extra... 300k or thereabouts where they could retire on. I think he's sailing around the world as we speak. Oh, wow. Good on him. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk then, I guess, about what are the issues that can make selling a trade business tough? Yeah, look, I think the main one is, and I'm talking about the smaller ones that might have sort of three through to six employees or thereabouts, they can be very dependent on the business owner. Especially, and um, you know, I see it all too often when they they name the business after themselves. So it might be Joe Bloggs Electrical, uh, which you never want to see. Uh, whoever's contacting that business is expecting to speak to Joe Bloggs, and if someone is buying that business, um, you know, they're, they're going to struggle uh, and, and takes time to change names and, uh, and and get the message out that uh, there's a new owner in, in in place. But really, it's the the main challenge is there's a lot of knowledge stuck in business owners' heads. Uh, if they're not um, if they're not jotting down this information in a procedure manual or, or something like that, you find that their employees are going to them with every problem um, that, that they'll encounter on a daily basis. So really, what we'd like to see is, and I'll ask them a couple of questions about how dependent um, you know, the business is on them as a person. And I'll ask them, you know, when was the last time you took a holiday? And you don't want to hear the the answer that, you know, I haven't got time to take a holiday. I haven't taken a holiday in five years. Yes, um, yes. So I spoke to and it was actually this uh, this plumbing business that I mentioned earlier. Um, when I was going through his financials, I, I noticed there was, there was a reasonable amount of money in travel expenses. And I asked him about that. He said, oh, look, there's overseas conferences and and what not to attend? <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. We can have a, a, another chat about that off the record. Um, but um, it transpired that he actually spent about two months of the year, um, you know, in Europe or South America every year. Wow. And he'd done that for the last five years. I said, okay, fantastic. So the business ticks along quite well without you. He's like, yep, yeah, the guys know what they're doing. Yeah, right. So it's getting the team to that point where they're not dependent on the owner. Um, he can go away two months at a time and the business doesn't suffer. Yeah, absolutely. Of course they do. Who doesn't want that kind of business? Absolutely, absolutely. Issues here, effectively, we're saying one of the issues in trades businesses is quite often a lack of documented systems um, and possibly even clear systems, let alone documented systems. So systems in place that are documented um, and followed. Um, we, we talked about uh, issues with the name of the business in that they are um, named after the owner rather than a name that um, is more easily transferable. Um, and that engenders trust in all of the staff rather than just uh, for, from the client perspective, rather than just the the, um, owner, the named owner. Are there any other elements that you see specifically in trades businesses that make them particularly tough to sell? Sometimes, um, 
Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Look, yeah, more around the, the record keeping and in particular keeping a database. Sometimes I find if I ask them if they've got a database, they say no. Then I'll ask, okay, well, do you have a bookkeeping system? Do you use MYOB or Zero or QuickBooks or, or anything like that? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, my bookkeeper does that. So okay, fantastic. There's probably a lot of information in that which will be useful to me when I'm selling your business. So, for example, talk to me about your, your, your two or three key clients. Um, okay, what percentage of your turnover can you attribute to, to those three? Um, sometimes they can guesstimate it. But it's not until we actually sit down with the bookkeeper or their accountant or whoever it might be, and we run a report so we can get their sales summary report. Uh, these are the top three clients. The top one's only worth 10%, the second one's worth 8%, and so on and so forth. Um, one, one issue that um, you know, I've had a couple of times is when that top client is worth you know, 50 or 60% of their turnover. Yeah. So they are very dependent on that client. Yes, they've been with them for, for 20-odd years. No, there's no contracts in place. No, it's not an exclusive agreement. They can go elsewhere. Um, so they can be quite risky as well. And I've got to be um, you know, pretty careful in the way we appraise those businesses um, because obviously if a, a buyer is buying that and that key client walks away, um, you know, there's probably not a lot of business left. So that's probably one of the, the other main issues we face is just dependency on sort of one or two large clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what's the issues here for owners of trade businesses if they don't think about each of these elements that we've just talked about? I mean, obviously, you know, when we get to point of exit, if they're not thinking about these things, they're going to face a, um, a lesser sale value. But I mean, is there an issue there that maybe they won't even be able to find a buyer? I mean, do you ever see that happening? Yeah, and look, unfortunately, we we do. If a business is on the market for a little bit too long, um, it, it can go stale. Uh, if there's decreasing revenue over the last sort of two or three years before they've decided to sell, you can see they've taken their foot off the gas. Yeah, that's a hardest sale as well, of course. Um, previously, I was dealing with a gentleman that owned a a rural fencing business. Um, unfortunately, haven't been able to sell that one as yet, but um, we certainly haven't given up. Um, he, we were talking about dependency earlier. He unfortunately had an accident on a, a job site once. Um, he broke his leg and he was out of action for, for quite a long time. It was sort of two or three months. There was complications with it being rebroken and things like that. I won't go into detail. Wow. Um, but he was one of these guys that, um, you know, he was the business. He had four guys working underneath him, um, but he did the quoting. He organized the, uh, the ordering of all the materials, supervised every job. So he was very, very hands on and didn't really entrust um didn't entrust his guys to to run the jobs on their own so look i I can understand that Um, but when he broke his leg it was a bit of a double-edged sword unfortunately because none of the guys were trained up to be able to do what he did um they lost a lot of business Uh, revenue sort of fell off a cliff for a little while but what it did teach him was the importance of being able to delegate yeah so Revenue fell off the cliff for about a month, uh, but then he started empowering his most senior guy to to do the quoting and oversee work and so on. Um, and and now he's he's kind of recovered, but he's not full time back in the business. And he's finding that he's just getting his guys to do more and more work. So you know, give it twelve months. I think that um, that business will, will be uh, ticking along quite well, and it could well be more saleable in twelve months' time. 
And look, I guess this is a really good point. We've talked about um, in some podcasts in the past about the benefit of um, running your business in a sale-ready state. But I just think it's – I always think it's such an important point um, to uh, to come back to and reiterate because here's a perfect example of how things can pop out of the blue uh, when you least expect it, you know, a health event or, or change in life circumstance or whatever the case may be that isn't something that um, – was necessarily anticipated or on the horizon and that then then potentially if you're forced into a sale at that point could really absolutely lead to a, a massive issue with the sale price. Indeed, if you can even sell it at all, like in, in the example of your um, fellow who broke their leg, you know, if he was forced to sell the business at that point, maybe there was nothing there to sell, you know. I, I mean, I don't know. That's the risk, isn't it, you know? Yeah, yep, absolutely. No, all we would have had to sell at that time was uh, his assets, really, to possibly a competitor. But yeah, no, absolutely, there wouldn't have been much to sell. So here's the the benefits, and and, and you know, clearly it applies to trade based businesses now as well, but to all businesses, you know, running it in a sale ready state. But some of these things that we're talking about, you know, not trading under your a business name with your own personal name, or not having systems in place, they're all the sorts of things that make a business great as into an exit, but they also make it a much better, more enjoyable business to be involved in uh, along the way in any event. Yeah, absolutely. No, and um, one of the questions I'll ask um, business owners as well is, what happens if you get hit by a bus tomorrow? And, and, and quite often they haven't thought of that. And, you know, without it getting too emotive, uh, like you ask the question, okay, so what happens to, <laughs> what happens to your family? Yes. Yeah, what's the next step? If you are hit by that bus tomorrow, um, is, is there a business um, you know, come next week? So it does get people thinking, and I think that's one of the things that um, in, in terms of um, buyers I talk to, that is probably their number one criteria, how, how dependent is the business on the owner? Yep. Yeah, sensibly, sensibly. I think it's mm, absolutely. It, it, it's absolutely imperative. Let's talk then about valuation um, of trade mm-hmm. businesses. What what is different about the valuation of trade businesses, if anything, to um, your average um, SME on the market? Look, in terms of valuations, not. Too different. You know, the, the same criteria applies. We'll, we'll use the earnings method, asset method, uh, and also what is the market prepared to pay. Um, so I'm finding that with the smaller ones that might employ, you know, one or two guys, let's call it a, a, an electrical business, um, we're, we're looking really at what the PBITDA is, so what the, the owner is actually um, netting himself. So he might be paying himself hundred grand a year and um, after he's paid his guys and all of the expenses, is extra 30. Um, so he's earning 130 grand a year. It might be a little bit higher than that if he's got two or three employees. But if he's got no systems in place, if he's named it after himself, um, yeah, if the, the bookkeeping is quite poor, um, you'll probably find that that business won't sell for much more than sort of a 1 to 1.5 times multiple if we're lucky. But those that are prepared, They've got the systems in place. They've done a a fair bit of their own marketing as well. So if I say, okay, once someone's signed the CA that XYZ plumbing services are for sale, they think, oh, okay, I've heard of that. I've seen the vans around. uh, The guys wear uniforms. They're quite presentable. It's a name that we've known for a while, a name that we we trust. 
uh, especially if they've been on the market for you know 20 plus years. Yeah, you know, we, we can get a, a much better multiple for that. It could be two, 2.5, uh, really depends on, on what the market's prepared to pay. Yeah, okay, great. And what, what are some of the best sale multiples you've seen? Oh, look, in trade businesses, I think 2.5 is at the, the high end. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And, and obviously, to achieve that higher end of about 2.5, you have to have your systems in place and your branding down pat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, yep, that's right. That's right, and um, and that that's part of my job as well to present the the business in the in the best light. We I do talk a lot about systems branding. Obviously, is important as well, but it's more about the the systems um, and and working out exactly what the almost what the the gross profit of each of their tradies is. So if you're paying a tradie say eighty grand a year and they've contributed to a hundred hundred and sixty uh, grand over that year, you can say okay, well look. Each trading in your business is worth about 80 grand GP. So it's a nice way of explaining that to buyers as well, which makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Great. And um, one question I um, I have booting around in my mind is mm. whether or not there's any seasonality in um, seeing trades businesses hit the market. Are there are there mm. times of year the year that you're most likely to see buyers or sellers around in this space? <laughs> With with buyers, it's normally just after the Christmas holidays. Right. <laughs> so, okay. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and why is that? Why and sellers as well. Um, I think Christmas holidays is that time for people to re reevaluate their lives. Yeah. For the uh, for the sellers, it's I oh, really I don't want to go back to work. I've had enough of this now. It's time to get rid of the business. And for the buyers, yep, it's time to, to take that next step. But um, you know. As you know, it can take a little while to, to sell a business, uh, generally sort of six months plus. So by the time well, I'm talking to those sellers, come January or February, most buyers will want to see uh, the, the end of year accounts for that year. Um, so we're really not going to be transacting anything until you know July, August, September. It's interesting that you say that the um, you, you know that, that there's a lot of activity around that period after Christmas because I mean it's interesting from our own anecdotal perspective, businesses as a whole, we are just you know everyone goes absolutely nuts just before Christmas for some reason. Everyone wants to close just before you know <laughs> yes. on Christmas Eve and other ridiculous <laughs> things like that. So it's it's. Interesting to hear, you know, um, so, you know, th- that this particular industry is maybe a little bit more on the other side of Christmas. Can be, can be. <laughs> okay, great. Let's take a short break. When we get back, Matthew talks to us about the value in building relationships with other professionals in the sales and acquisition space, like accountants. And of course, this is true for all other types of business as well. We also discuss valuation approaches and the importance of communicating the value of your business. And finally, we close the episode out by profiling the usual buyers of trade businesses. And that's next. I'm Joanna Oki and you're listening to The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast brought to you by Aspect Legal. core values of our business at Aspect Legal is that we really care. We care deeply for our clients and for the broader community. But we also believe that every business has the responsibility and the power to change lives by simple acts of kindness. 
As such, every time you do business with us at Aspect Legal or refer a client to us, and indeed every time I even just send an email, something amazing happens. We've partnered up with a number of organisations, including Caritas Australia and the international giving project of Buy One, Give One, to enable us to make high-impact donations to worthy causes on behalf of our clients. Check out the impact page on our website. Go to www.aspectlegal.com.au backslash impact to see how by doing business with us, or referring business to us, you are helping us impact the lives of thousands of people in need. Welcome back. Earlier, we talked about how trade businesses differ from other types of business. We also identified issues that might make selling a trade business challenging. And this, of course, links back to the importance of running your business in a sale-ready state. And just before the break, we talked about how trade businesses are valued and whether or not there's a seasonality to buying and selling a trade business in the market. Let's keep the conversation going and talk about the unique role accountants play in helping trade businesses gear up for sale into the future. I'd just like to talk, you know, a a little bit now about professionals who are involved with dealing with trades businesses as clients. So, you know, whether that's accountants or business advisors, what can they be doing to help increase value at sale? And are they common mistakes that you see being made by advisors when dealing with their clients in this space? Yep, yep, absolutely. Look, I love having accountants as part of that sale process. And when I say sale process, at the very beginning, uh, almost helping me with my appraisal and and uh, assisting with the IM. So I don't ask them to to, uh, to edit the IM or anything like that. But again, most of the guys that I'm dealing with are planning to retire. So they might have had an accountant for the last 10 years, 20 years. They've got a very good relationship with their accountants. And their accountant might have done a valuation at some point on their business. And sometimes I'm I'm not sure where the numbers come from, but um, (laughs) a number that I hear a lot is, okay, net profit times three, which may be bang on, but quite often that's not what the market is paying for a particular business. So look, it's my job to build a relationship with that accountant because the last thing I want to do is say, look, I disagree with your accountants. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't sell business for a living um, because I'm not going to build any rapport with my vendor that way. I'm going to put the accountant offside. So I really want to work the three of us as a as a team almost. So I always introduce myself to the accountant and say, look, I'm about to, to list um, Joe Bloggs' business for sale. Love the opportunity to, to meet with you, sit down, and I can give you my thoughts on the business and what I think it's going to, to sell for in the current market. And nine times out of 10, they're happy to do that, especially if they've had that long-standing relationship with their vendor or with their clients. Um, they, they want to see you know, them achieving a, a sound result as well. So really, it's the ones that care about their clients that are prepared to spend a little bit more time with them. Most that I deal with are very good. Uh, there was one um, situation that I had, uh, it was only a couple of months ago, actually. It was a, a new referral from an accountant who I'd never met before, but he heard of my name through somebody else and went down, uh, met with him at the office, met with um, my, my vendor now, 
And uh, look, we went through the numbers. There were certain addbacks that uh, the accountant had considered, considered. So we went through each of those uh, in detail, and it was great. There was no grey areas. Because sometimes when you're going through a P&L and uh, you're not quite sure if this was a legitimate expense or not, having the accountant there, like, okay, no, we can make that adjustments and whatnot. And look, we were all on the same page that the vendor didn't have this um, preconceived idea that he was going to get a million dollars for the business. Uh, it's going to be something a bit more reasonable, um, and it really does help with the process. Yeah, and look, I think that's a really good point for us to emphasise right here, mm. that accountants can be, or other business advisors who are advising on value or process, can really do themselves and their clients a disservice by commenting on value when perhaps they're not close to the, you know, the, the true valuation methodologies that are being used in the in, in the industry or the sector at that point. You know, and I, I guess you need to know what's going on in the market to, to understand, you know, clearly and be able to provide some sort of guidance to your clients as to what, what the true value is that they might be looking at. And there's no, no winners from someone that fudges the answer or comes up with a pie-in-the-sky figure that doesn't reflect mm-hmm. reality because you just lead to disappointment and sometimes, you know, client resentment. Yeah, it was funny. I had a, uh, I attended a networking event a few weeks ago and, and met with an accountant who I, I'd, I'd never met before. And we were talking about business valuations and so on. And I gave him the example of that, uh, you know, accountant I spoke to recently and he said, okay, net profit times three. And I, I said half jokingly, I said, is that what you guys are, are taught? Uh, uh, was there a module at the university where you covered off valuation and it was always times three? He said, Matt, um, if we like the clients, it's generally a higher valuation as opposed to if we don't like the clients. <laughs> I think he meant it in jest, but um, <laughs> right. yeah, it's an interesting comment. And it's interesting that you talk about this as an issue because it's certainly something that I've heard from people who are close to the valuation space in the market or indeed, you know, at the front end like you are of actually broking sales. The issues between some accountants approaches um, and some other valuation approaches. Of course, there's all there's a lot of different reasons for valuations in a business. And of course, the the actual value at market really at the end of the day is just, you know, a match between what a seller is prepared to sell at and a buyer is prepared to buy at. So, you know, whatever sort of formulas or approaches we have in place aren't necessarily always going to be right for every business. There can be strategic reasons for buying that that mean that a business is worth a lot more. But I, I guess it's just just generally speaking, it's a warning out there about approaching valuations. And, you know, perhaps the benefits in um, having relationships with people who are on the front line in terms of selling or, or dealing with the actual transaction part of the sale of a business in terms of getting, you know, good, honest feedback about whether or not the the values you're talking about with the business owners are realistic. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add that as well, yes, a a business will um, sell for what the market's prepared to pay. But I will add that provided that the market understands what they're actually buying. So, it's really important for a trade business or any business to be prepared well and and that the value in the, the 
businesses really communicated clearly through the IM. Um, I have in the past picked up a, a couple of businesses uh, and listed them that were listed uh, either by the owner themselves who was trying to sell or from a broker that you know, probably wasn't doing a fantastic job. And when I was reading through um, you know, the ADBEC schedule and, and things like that, things just weren't very clear. There was gaps in the timeline of, uh, you know, business trade over the last five years. There was ups and downs with no no explanation as to why that was on the IM. Um, so by just sort of communicating that in a different way and being a bit more detailed, um, you know, it, it's going to win buyers' confidence, I think. Yeah. And so then if we take all of these very good points and put them all together, what what's a bit of an action plan in relation to what what advisors in this space or the businesses themselves can do in order to prepare themselves for sale? We talked about a couple of things. We talked about the naming, we talked about systems and procedures and about making the business less dependent on the business owner? Uh, Is there anything else that we should be looking at here, you know, in rounding this topic off? Look, I think we've covered most of it there. And I I don't want it to seem daunting for a lot of trade businesses, you know, got to get all these procedures in place and all that kind of thing. It can be really as simple as a one page, making sure that your, your employee has got job descriptions. So everyone knows what they're accountable for. And also um, with their financials, if there's expenses that are for things that are clearly not business expenses. Um, there was one a little while ago who was doing his own development and there was things on the P&L that shouldn't have been there. I'm um, just tidying all of that up you know, a good couple of years before you even think about going to the market. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. This has been very insightful and hopefully particularly useful for anyone with a trade business um, who's looking to um, sell or buy and advisors uh, in the space, accountants and and other advisors who are dealing with uh, trade businesses that um, might be likely to sell in the future. And just one question for us to close out, Matt. Let's just quickly talk about the usual buyers of trade businesses. Who are they? Where, where's our usual pool of buyers sit for trade businesses? Normally, it is an existing trade business, which is looking to grow through acquisition. They're most of the buyers that I have, uh, especially around commercial clients or strata clients as well. Um, so it might be a, a electrical business that's got a relationship with, you know, a bunch of strata companies. If you're a, an electrician that's been ticking along quite well but haven't been able to tap into that market, quite often it's it's easier uh, and quicker to uh, acquire a business that's already got those relationships. Uh, so they're the sort of guys that I'm dealing with um, more often than not. It's not normally those guys that have finished their apprenticeship and, and want to then spend you know four or five hundred thousand dollars on a on a business to uh, to get them started. So it's, it's really those established ones that are just growing through market share. Okay. All right. Great. Well, that's very, um, very useful information. Good. All right. Well, look, thanks, Matt. Thanks for your time. Um, thanks for coming in today to talk to us about preparing a trade business for sale. And if we have any advisors out there to businesses, accountants, business coaches, other advisors, or trade business owners or management themselves that want to talk to you further about any further insights you have or assistance that you can provide to them, how do they find you? Look, I'm happy for people just give me a buzz on the mobile anytime or email 
Um, should I read out the mobile and, and those details now? Yeah, well, why don't, why don't you give us your website and then we'll put links through to um, all of your details in our show notes. So um, if you want further details and you can't jot down uh, Matt's website as you're listening to this podcast, just go to our show notes. But take it away, Matt. What's the best website to get you at? Yeah, um, smebusinesssales.com.au. Oh, that's super simple. We should be able to remember that. (laughs) But if you can't, (laughs) it's in the show notes. Good work. Okay, well, thanks, Matt. You have yourself a fabulous afternoon. Thanks very much. You too. Well, that concludes today's episode with Matthew Gretsch of SME Business Sales. As a quick recap, in this episode, we talked about what makes selling a trade business different from other types of businesses. We talked about the issues that make selling a trade business challenging sometimes and the importance of running a business in a sale-ready state. We also talked about the valuation methods used for trade businesses, the seasonality in seeing trade businesses hit the market, and the importance of communicating the value of the business. Then finally, we close this episode out by identifying the usual buyers of trade businesses. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to The Deal Room Podcast on your favourite podcast player to be the first to know when a new episode is out. We release a brand new episode every Tuesday. Click our show notes at www.thedealroompodcast.com for links through to Matthew and his team at SME Business Sales. And thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.